For Matthew chapter 6, where we're at today, I'm going to read the whole Lord's Prayer again, even though we did the first three petitions last week. And uh, so I'm going to read that all again, and then we'll jump into the last three petitions, okay? So begin with me. If you'd like to stand, you can stand while we read the Word of God. I'm going to begin in verse 9, okay? So Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father, your Heavenly Father, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, we rejoice with great joy at being able to come to you in prayer. Father, we rejoice at your word spoken to us. We pray for the Spirit to open our eyes to see uh, your glory, your your name, your character. Father, we ask you, God, to, to bring about your rule and reign in the hearts of those at Lincoln Avenue. Father, we ask that you would, you would so move in us that our hearts would submit freely and re- with great joy to all that you have told us. Father, we ask for daily provision. We ask, God, for needs. We ask for for right relationships. And, God, we we ask that you would put it in us today. God, that you would speak through this passage today in ways that prepare us for what's coming ahead. And, Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, you can be seated. A little bit of review. So last week, Jesus begins this kind of section on prayer by teaching us how not to pray. Okay, So he, teaches, he said, don't pray like a hypocrite and don't pray like a pagan. And so that, that was the way last week began. And then we looked at the first three petitions of the, the, the model prayer, the, the pattern prayer in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, if I could pick like one thing, for you guys to actually take away from these two sermons and just like immediately start using it in your everyday life, it would, it would be this big principle that we ought to start, we ought to follow what Jesus says here, and we ought to start our prayers in this way, okay? Now, now before I begin to unpack that, where I don't want you to go with this is I don't want you to be like, man, that was kind of confusing, and I think I must be praying wrong, so I'm just not going to do it, okay? Please don't go there, all right? If you are God's child, if if you are joined by faith to Jesus, then please pray, okay? If you're coming sincerely and if you're coming with with a heart dependent upon God, then you're not praying wrong, okay? Does everybody, everybody get that? You're not praying wrong. You need to pray and pray more, okay? So this is not one of those deals like, oh, wow, I I think I might be doing this wrong, so I'm going to quit. No, 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 okay? That's not what this is about. What this is about is Jesus teaching us to pray more effectively, okay? When, When the question is asked, who in this room wants to pray more effectively? Who in this room w- w- wants, wants to pray in ways that God moves and answers in miraculous ways? I raise my hand. I'm like, yes, that is me. I, I want to pray that way, okay? And so that's, where, that's what Jesus is telling us. And one of the big things that I glean from this is that it matters, it matters how, we, how we pray. From this standpoint, it is so in us 
It is so in us to jump straight to our needs. What, what is it that usually brings you to a, a time of prayer? It's, it's usually a need, isn't it? Unless you just kind of have a disciplined time in your life. It, it's usually, you know, the transmission in the car is slipping, right? Or, or it's, it's babies, you know, crying or ear affections or bills or, or anxiety over what's coming in your life, all right? But, but Jesus is really clear, and, 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 and I, think, I think we need this in telling us when you come to God, when you come to him, before you get to the refrigerator that's broken, before you get to the baby that's crying, before you get to the thing that you're just tore up on the inside about, before you get to those things, man, come to God as your father. For just a moment, just savor the reality that the king of kings, the ancient of days, the, the ruler of the universe is your father. That he has called you. Isn't that awesome? He's called you to himself. He, he's adopted you into his family. That, that, that he, has, he, has, he has loved you with an everlasting love and ransomed you with the blood of his own son that you might be joined to him forever. Don't miss that. I know that without the fridge working, your, your hot dogs are going to go bad. I know that. I mean, that, that's, that's important. I'm not saying that's not important. But, but I'm saying for your own soul, man, just for you to linger for a moment and, and just rejoice in the relationship you have with your Father. And then Jesus says, hallowed be, hallowed be my, thy name, right? For, for a moment. Move your imagination, move your mind for just a second to grab on to the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, who He is. You know, you know, if you want evidence that we are still broken in sin, let it be this. Let it be that we have to intentionally force ourselves to praise. Praise. Did you hear that? Praise. Like exalt Him. Like we owe Him that. He ought to be adored. He ought to be worshipped. He ought to be glorified by, by our mouth. And isn't it a sign of our own brokenness that we don't do that just reflexively, right? And so Jesus is teaching us, when you come to God, come, remember the relationship. Rejoice in your, your Father and all that that means. And then hallow His name. Man, ask Him to show you more of His greatness. Stretch your imagination to the bigness and the majesty and, and all that God is. Cherish that, treasure that, rejoice that. And then ask that His kingdom would come. You know, if you've come into your Father and, and, and rejoicing in that relationship and you are hallowing His name, you're just, just excited and praising God's faithfulness and God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and His power and His, His, His undisputable reign then you're going to want him, you're going to want him to rule, right? And, and, and right away, I don't know about you guys, but things come to my mind and my heart that aren't right. And I'm like, oh God, I want you to rule over that. I want you to reign over that. I want you to come. I want you to come back. I want you to, to bring the new heavens and the new earth. And God, I want you to bring the kingdom in me. I want you to fix me. Pray in those ways. And, and as you do that, here's, here's the deal. As you do that, now, man, your heart is in so much better position to talk about the refrigerator, to talk about the tires, to talk about the mortgage. You see, instead, instead, I mean, this, this is the one big thing I really want you to, I feel like if we all would get this, man, it, it would really be a powerful thing, is that reflexively we want to come right with our need, right with our crisis. And, and God wants to hear that. Please, you're not going, if that's what happens, good. You should pray. 
But, but again, Jesus is teaching us, hey, pray this way. Come to your Father. Hallow His name. Ask for His kingdom to come. And then, ask for your daily bread. So look at verse 11. Here's where we're beginning today. Give us this day our daily bread. All right, first, first thing, first thing. The day and the bread belong to God. Do you see that? So if we're asking him to give it to us, what does that imply? That implies they're his, right? The day and the bread are his, and we are told to come and ask for it. Ask for it daily. I, I'm telling you, I just... I marvel that the God of the universe, the one who, who Revelation tells us is going to slay the nations with the word of his mouth, I am, I am just amazed that he will listen to my stomach aches. Isn't, isn't that phenomenally awesome? You know, that, that, that he invites me to come and ask for the, the basic needs of my life. That's, that's wonderful. You know, Last week, let me repeat this. I said this last week. You know, why do we pray? We pray because God in his infinite wisdom has determined to meet our needs. God in his infinite wisdom has determined to bring about his kingdom. God in his infinite wisdom has determined to accomplish his will through prayer. I don't know why he decided that. I don't know why he does it that way, but God just decided to do it that way. God decided that he's gonna move and he's gonna change the world and he's gonna save the nations through prayer. Like he's going to move people to pray and then he's going to respond in action to their prayers. All right? And specifically to our prayers for daily bread. Now, now in the crowd Jesus is talking to in the Sermon on the Mount, I bet when they heard daily bread, it made sense to them. You know why? Because they're probably day laborers. You know, much of the world still lives that way. You know what that means, right? That means that, that you work for the day's bread, right? Like your meal, like you're praying, God, we don't have anything to eat, so God provide it today. Now, most of us, we don't function that way, do we? Most of us, we do this. We go, we open the refrigerator, and we're like, ah, that spaghetti was from last night, and, you know, there's noodles from two nights ago, and there's some chicken fry from when, I don't want any of that. Order pizza, honey, right? I mean, that's the way we function. We go to the cabinet, and we got all these, you know, canned goods and stuff. We're like, I don't really want to fix anything. I want, you know, so let's go to McDonald's. That, that's the way most of us function, and so we got, we got to do a little something here in our heads. We got to remember that we still have daily needs, right? I think a lot of us would express it not so much in daily bread. We would express it as house payments and utilities and transportation and medical care and gainful employment and relationship problems, right? Those are the things that we daily ask, we daily should ask for. And God is telling us, Jesus is telling us, ask God for those things. I ask, I ask all three services this. I, this would have been a super great poll. I wish I would have just done this this morning uh, in the 830 service and done it in the 945. Because I'd love to see the results of this. How, how, I wonder how many of us prayed for, for our mortgage payment this month. Or how many of us prayed for, prayed for our car payment? Or how many of us prayed, you know, as we went to Walmart, we were, God, you know, please provide. I, I'm just banking. I, I could be wrong. Maybe this is my own, my own soap, but I bet, I bet just a bunch of us didn't. I bet, I bet we just didn't. And, and the, probably the reason we just didn't is because we got it covered. Right? That's what we think, right? We got to cover. So I think a lot of us would say, well, I got a good job and I've got a good salary and I'm smart with money and I've saved and I got savings and I've got some side investments and I've got a retirement plan. And, and so, man, I hear this. Be careful of this right here. I hear people say, so I'm not going to bother the Lord 
I'm not going to bother the Lord. I don't want to add anything else to his plate. I mean, man, he's got those people in India you're always talking about. You know, he's got them to deal with. Man, they're really hurting, you know. I'm not going to bother because we're good, God. We're good. We got it under control. We, we got things. It sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Like, like to say it, we're like, hey, God, I'm not. Other people need help, God, not me. We pretty much got it covered. It sounds super spiritual. It's super wicked. Okay? That, that, is, that is wicked to think I don't need God. Here's, here's theologically, here's where that's broken, okay? So 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you have not received? The answer is nothing. Okay? James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift is from God. If you have it, if you have it, God supplied it. Right? That, that's what the Bible says. If you have it, then God gave it. If you have a mind that is able to, 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 to work and perform at a high level and it allows you to earn a good income, God provided that. If you've had a foundation of hard, diligent work in your life, God provided that. If you've had opportunities open up for you so that you have what many people in the world do not, God provided that. And to say, God, I'm going to assume that's all of me, and so I don't need you, so you go help some other people until I get myself in a pinch, that is not how we're supposed to pray. It's interesting, back in, uh, in I'm be going through God's story on Wednesday nights. Man, that's fun. I really love it. Um, I, I almost think we need to redo that and make it like eight weeks, you know, because I just enjoy it so much. Um, but anyway, we've been going through the story of God. And so the Exodus uh, happens, right? And the, and the Israelites are, are led out of Egypt by Moses, and they're on the way to the promised land. And they get there to the, prom- the edge of the promised land, and they send in the spies. And remember, the guys don't believe. They won't trust God. They won't trust God. And so, so the whole nation is turned around and has to go back into the wilderness until that entire generation dies off, and they're there for 40 years. And for 40 years, they learn to trust God daily. You know why? Because God takes them someplace where they don't have a choice, right? And then as they're getting ready to go back in the promised land, guess what happens? Moses sits them down in Deuteronomy and says, okay, guys, we're getting ready to go in the promised land. And when you get in there, you're going to have houses that you didn't build. And you're going to have farms that you didn't plant. And you're going to have livestock that you didn't raise. And you're going to have riches that you, you didn't earn. And when you are full, when, when God provides all of this, he said, be careful. Here's what he says. Deuteronomy 8, 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Man, Moses said, guys, you got to be careful that you don't get in there. You don't get in there to the promised land. You forget God. You forget how to be dependent upon God. And I think the same would be true of us here in America. We need to be careful that we don't forget that we are, are dependent on God. Pride is a slippery slope. Now, does, does God command diligence? Absolutely. Does he condemn sloth? Man, read the book of Proverbs. Yes, yes, yes. Okay? But we are to pray for our daily bread. We are, again, to come to our Father. And, man, I, look at how each one of these, each, those first three, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Man, they affect those second three. You know, when, when you're coming for your daily needs, isn't it awesome to come to a Father? A good father. 
So, so here's what, what Matthew just told us in Matthew 6, 8. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, what's, the, what's the characteristic of a father? A good father, he knows what you need before you ask him. Chapter 7, we'll get this here in a couple months. Verse 11, uh, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask? You see, when, when we come for our daily bread, we're coming to a father who knows what we need, and he knows how to give us the best thing. You know, one way to describe, the Bible always says, you know, pray in God's will, right? Pray in Jesus' name. So it says, if you ask anything according to his name, according to his will, then you'll have it. Another way to say that is when you ask for the best thing. <laughs> See, your father just wants to give you the best things, okay? That, that's, that's what he wants to give you. That, that explains why a lot of times we ask for things and God gives us something different. Why? Because we didn't ask for the best thing. When, when, we're, when we're praying, hallowed be his name, and when we're, we're bold to ask, then, man, it's an exciting thing to come to God for your needs. John Newton wrote this hymn. It says this, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. Now, there's times like 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul comes to God and he says, God, I got this painful thing in my life. I'm going to call it my thorn in the flesh. God, would you take it away? And he comes three times, take it away, God, take it away, take it away. And God says, no, I'm not, I'm going to give you something better. Isn't that the way our Father works? He's, I'm going to give you something better. Come to Him. Come for our daily bread. You, you know what I think we all want? We don't want daily bread. We'd really like to have yearly bread, right? Or, or if, if nothing else, God, could we be paid on the 1st and the 15th, right? Isn't that, isn't that what we want? And you know why we want that? Because we, we like that security of knowing everything's okay and this is, this is where it gets really sinful. We like to not have to come. You know what I'm saying? So, so when God takes Israel into wilderness, how often do they get manna? I mean, it would have made sense for God just to back up some semi-loads and dump them, right? You know, then they got it for a while, right? That's, that's, that's efficient uh, transportation of goods. What did God do instead? He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you every day, and you're going to have to trust me every day. And you can't store it up. God makes the stuff so that you can't store it. Why? Because he wants them to come daily. You see, when my wife sends me to Walmart, it's once a year, okay? And uh, I don't do a good job. So when she sends me, man, I've got one objective, okay? I'm going to get what she's getting. But, but my one objective is I don't want to have to come back, Okay? It drives me crazy when we'll send the kids, like, hey, we're out of soap. This happens all the time. We're out of soap. And they come back with one deal. You know, do you not see our family? One deal of soap? Really? You know, come, like, like, I buy 20. You know, I mean, like, how much money do I have? Like, because I don't want to go back. Peanut butter. Peanut butter is where I get aggravated, you know, because I like a peanut butter sandwich every night, you know. And, 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 yeah, they'll come back with this little, you know, like, hey, we're out of peanut butter. I'm like, that's one sandwich, you know. Like, like give me the gallon deal and get by five of them so we don't have to come back to this forsaken place, okay. I don't want to have to go. Now, if we're not careful, we take that same tone with God. How many people, man, they want to hit the lottery? Or they want to hit the big rich? You know why? I mean, they, they may not express it this way, so they don't have to depend on God. So they don't have to be on their knees. God provide. That's, what, that's why we want the. Man, that's, that's so in us. 
God scolded me this, this two weeks ago. I, I sold my motorcycle and uh, got, got the money. And immediately I was rejoicing. I was so happy because what I was doing was I was like, okay, this is going to pay for first semester of college. We won't have to take anything out of savings and this will pay for Haddon's first semester of college. Had that all planned out in my mind. Was super congratulating myself on, you know, having it all, you know, got this done, right? I'm not kidding. Within a week, you know, bills came in. I just didn't, wasn't expecting. I forgot one I knew about and I forgot about. And, and boom, it's gone, you know. And I, I'm just seething, you know. One night I'm just, you know, and I, just, I was so frustrated, you know. And I was making these little jabs at my family who caused the bills, you know, to happen, you know. And man, it just, God just, God just hit me. He's saying, Jason, I knew you were going to have these bills. So I provided for you, you know. The appropriate response is, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for providing for what I didn't know was coming. But do you see my response? My response was, well, Lord, but I wanted it to be applied ahead so that I can coast. And then I was reminded, give us this day our daily bread. Will God provide for the fall? Absolutely. Absolutely. He already has. I need to trust him. I, I need it. You see, we need to, are you guys like me in that? Are you like that? You, know, you just have trouble. Like, we, we want to live. You're like, take care of it all in the future. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm going to take care of you day by day. Sometimes God gives for the future, and that's awesome when he does. But he, when he does, here's our challenge, okay? So if, when God does that, our challenge is that we don't get lazy and not want to come to him, not want to come back. You see, the challenge for rich people, right, which probably most of us fall into that category, is that we learn to go to God relentlessly, knowing that he provides it all, and it could all be taken away. We need him. We need him. The relationship there is important. Okay, verse 12. So give us this day our daily bread, and then verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, one of the big things as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, I, this amazed me. I was just thinking how much Jesus talks about relationships and broken relationships, and how much he talks about the need to, to be right with other people. Man, when you look at the Beatitudes, you got blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. All those in one way or another deal with relationships. Uh, when he starts the, the your righteousness must exceed the scribes in the Pharisees section, in verse 21, he talks about how anger is a murderous heart and that we must reconcile immediately. And then he goes to covenant keeping, keep your commitments in marriage. And then he goes to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. And then he goes to loving your enemies. Tough, tough, tough. And now he he goes to forgive or you're not really forgiven. You know what I learned from that? You know what I learned from the fact that probably 10 times in this one sermon of Jesus, he talks about how kingdom people must be right with one another. What I learned from that is that if you're here this morning and you're bitter, listen, if you are here this morning and you have this seething resentment Boiling inside of you, if you have this smoldering anger, this simmering unforgiveness, your soul is in jeopardy. As your pastor, I need to tell you that. Okay, now I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but what I'm saying is 
when you don't take care of that, you are not living in the kingdom. Like that's, Jesus says, my kingdom people will live this way. And over and over and over again, he hits this area of our relationship with one another. And and he hits it today in this prayer by saying, forgive us our debts as we also have, because we are kingdom people, we have forgiven our debtors. Let's look at it. We have a debt, okay? Forgive us our debts. Man, that's an interesting way to look at sin, isn't it? We owe God. We owe him we owe him love. Like, we should love him more than anything. He's, he's, the mo- he's the most glorious, great thing in the universe, and we owe him love and worship and praise and treasuring, and we don't do it. That's at the root of our sin. The root of our sin is we're more interested in everything else. We're more impressed with everything else. We owe him honor, and we don't honor him. We owe him trust, and we don't trust him. We don't listen to him. We don't obey him. And so we have this debt. Okay, now, have you ever owed money that you couldn't pay? And, and I bet if the answer to that is yes, I bet then you, you know what it is to have this constant fearfulness of the consequences, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like when you have a debt you can't pay, well, you're, you're always worried about that, aren't you? It's always on your mind. You're always like waiting for the hammer to fall down and with the consequences of your sin. Okay, sin brings death and death brings judgment. Okay, so, so Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Now, many of us in here today, we believe the gospel, don't we? And what's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, the righteous life before God. And then he died a sacrificial death on the cross in order to pay for sins. And so if I and if you will repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, you can be joined, connected to Jesus Christ so that he pays for your sin and he gives you his righteousness and you are forgiven. Okay, you're forgiven. Your debts are forgiven. They're paid. They're paid. Okay. And, and so you might be asking, well, then, then why as a Christian do I need to pray in this way? Forgive us our debts. Well, it's because you keep sinning, right? Honest, right? You keep sinning. Now, now does that mean like we're not, like I'm saved and then I sin, I'm not saved. And then I, I confess and then I'm saved. No, 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 no. Jesus pays for our sins. But, but we, we have a need to be right with him, right? As we're going through this world and as, as, we, as we're, as we fail, as we sin, then, then we need to restore our fellowship with God. We're, we're still his child, but we need to restore our fellowship with God. We need to be right with him. Everybody I read uses this one illustration in the Bible, so I'm going to do it. I figure if everybody does it, it probably means it's good, right? So it's in John 13, and it's when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And there's this great story. You know, he's washing the disciples. He's go, he, he, they go into the upper room, and he takes off his, his outer garment, and he puts on a towel, and he starts washing the disciples' feet, and he gets to Peter. And what does Peter, what does Peter say? Oh, no, no, Lord. Peter's that, that guy, right? Not me. No, you won't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, if I don't wash you, you've got no part with me. And then Peter's like, oh, Lord, not only my feet, but my head and my pits, you know. And Jesus is like, ah, this guy, you know. Peter, come on, you know. And he's like, Peter, I, I, don't need to, I don't need to wash all of you. He said, if, if you're already clean, if you're already forgiven, then you just, you just need to have your feet washed. Let, let me read it to you. John 13, 10. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed, okay, that's, I would see that as salvation, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He's talking about Judas, for he knew who would betray him. 
I think the illustration there is, is like the disciples are already connected to Jesus, so they're already forgiven, but, but they walk through this world and they get their feet dirty. You walk through this world and you sin, right? You say things you shouldn't do and you shouldn't say and you do things you shouldn't do and you, you think things you shouldn't think and you, you don't do what you ought to do and, and you get mucky and, and you're still God's child, but you have a need to, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, so Jesus is saying that we ought to pray in this way, forgive us our debts. Okay, but then, then, then there's this other statement, as we have forgiven our debtors. And then he's afraid we'll just do what we often do is blow right over that, right? And be like, well, that'd be nice, but he didn't know what so-and-so did to me. And so then he comes back and he says, I want to make sure you heard that. And he says in 14 and 15, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I do not think he's saying, nor does anybody, I don't think he's saying that you earn salvation by forgiving other people. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, if you've been forgiven, you prove that by forgiving others. Man, just, just think about it. Those of you who are in this room who would say, I am forgiven. You, you know what you're essentially saying by that? You're essentially saying that you have come face to face with the ugliness of your sin. Have you not? That's what you're saying. You say, man, I came to a point in my life and I came face to face with the ugliness of my sin and I came face to face with the reality that I cannot save myself, that I am hopeless on my own, that I will go to hell because of my sin and I am in complete dependence on the mercy of God and the work of Jesus Christ to save me and I trust him. That's what you said. Okay, if you're a believer, you said, I trust you, Jesus. I trust your word. I rejoice with joy inexpressible over my forever union with you and the immeasurable hope that stretches out in front of me. Now, how can that person turn around from that and say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to forgive you. I am not going to be like Jesus. I am not going to give to you what he gave me. Jesus says you can't, you won't, you won't. Think of it this way. Forgiveness is the engine. God forgiving us is the engine that enables us to forgive other people. And if you find yourself to be a person that can't forgive other people, what does that mean? You got a car with no engine. Because that's the engine. Man, it's a glorious thing to forgive. Remember that verse we memorized during March Memory Month a couple years ago? Proverbs 19.11 says, it is, it, is, it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. I love that. And, and if you don't forgive, man, you are inviting the devil to take you out. Ephesians 4.26 and 27, don't let the sun go down in your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, we're not, we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. We know that unforgiveness gives him a shot in our life. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now the last phrase, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's kind of confusing. Lead us not into temptation. It's not saying that God tempts us. He does not do that. In fact, James clears that up. James 1.13 says this. It says, um, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, it becomes really clear when you look at the context of that verse. In fact, let me read the next one. Verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's not, see, that's what God doesn't do. God does not lure you. Anybody fish? Colt and I have been fishing. We, we caught a bunch of fish last week. 
You know what you do when you, when you lure, right? You lure a fish. What you do is you give him something that he thinks will satisfy him, but it's a lie. It'll actually lead to his death, okay? That's what the devil does. That's what God never does. God never lies to you. God never says, hey, this will satisfy. Oh, just kidding. He never does that. The devil does that. God does not do that. Now, God will, God will allow you to be put in difficult situations. God will allow the rug to be pulled out from under your life. God will allow times of testing, times where you either prove your faith or you prove your unbelief. Okay, God does that all the time. God, God doesn't stop every bad thing. Okay, and so, so Jesus teaches us to pray that God would deliver us from sinning in times of testing. The best passage on this, I think, is Matthew 26. Jesus in the garden. It's, it's just this cool double layer here. So Jesus is, is praying. He's, he's grappling with the Father, and he's praying, Lord, if it's possible, God, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Okay? He's actually dealing with what he knows is coming. But then he keeps going back to check on the disciples. Why? Because he knows something's coming for them too, right? A, a trial, a test that, that is not on their radar. They are not ready for it, and it's coming for them. And Jesus is saying what? Let me read it to you. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think that's what he's praying here. Okay, so he taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now he tells the disciples, he's like, guys, guys, right now, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What, what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, you guys, you gotta realize you're weak. You gotta realize that, that you are not ready to to trust me in this situation. you got to realize that something is coming. Right? And I would say the same thing for us, guys. We should expect that something frustrating, irritating, difficult, people, circumstances that's coming. We need to expect that there's going to be seasons coming in our life. Seasons when we're lonely. Seasons when we feel abandoned. Seasons when we feel empty. The, expect that is coming. We need to expect that we're going to be we're going to encounter certain seasons of our life where we are bombarded with deceptions and deceitful desires. And Jesus is saying, pray now. Pray now. Go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26. You remember what happens right before this? Jesus you know, tells them, hey, one of you will betray me. And Peter's like, nope. Lord, I'll go to the death for, with, for you. You know, Lord, there's, there's no way it'll be me. Right? Old confident Peter. Like, hey, I'm ready for anything. Now I'm going to go take a nap. You know, and Jesus is like waking him up. Peter, watch him pray, man. Watch him pray. You may not enter into temptation. Sleep, sleep. And what happens? The soldiers come. Judas comes. Jesus is arrested. Peter follows. He's watching. And then the thing out of nowhere that he did not expect, a preteen girl, a little teenage girl, sassy pigtails. Hey, you're one of them. You're, you're one of Jesus' disciples. You, you were with that guy. Three times he denies he ever knows Jesus. And then he goes away and weeps because of his failure. Man, two hours before, Jesus said, Peter, watch and pray. Man, do you, do you see the devastation 
of independence? Do you see the devastation of you and I thinking, man, I can handle this without prayer? Do you see the sin in that? Do you see the sin in thinking, hey, I got things covered. I don't need to ask for my daily bread. I got a bank account. I got things to do. I got to be places. I can, I can go without prayer. You're not ready for what's coming. I don't know what's coming. And let me tell you what I'm praying. I'm praying that it wouldn't come. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus, I think it's okay. You told me that, right? But, but the reality is, is that we're going to be tested in one way or another. Man, Jesus says, pray. God, deliver us from evil. God, deliver us. God, make me ready. God, give me faith. God, help me trust you. Help me live independence so that when, when the thing happens and it's not on my radar, I trust you. Have you ever known anybody that got blindsided by the thing that they never thought would happen and they didn't make it through? They fell. Man, you got stuff like that in your life. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I, I just wonder, like, do you have th things in your life like that you thought, man, I never thought that, I just wasn't ready. Okay, I think we all identify with that. If nothing else, we all know people. They look strong at one point and then they, Man, you know what? You know what? I wonder, I wonder, what if they would have developed a habit of praying this way? I'm not saying they didn't, but I'm just saying, I think Jesus is preparing us for that day, for that thing, for that temptation, for that season. And this whole prayer just, just brings us to a, Daily, moment by moment, dependence upon God for all that we need. And man, that's the posture I want to be in. That's, that's the position I want to be in when the thing hits, whatever that thing is. So let's not wait till it happens. Let, let's, let's do that now. Let's, let's pray this way, church. Let's, let's carve out time to make this a reality at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. Whatever it is that they say about us, let them say this. Those people pray like that. May that be our legacy. Father, we need your help. Uh, Father, you're so good and you're so kind and we ask that you give us this gift. God, give us this gift of, of being a people who are relentless in prayer, a people who depend upon you for all of our daily bread, a people who, who forgive as you've forgiven us and a people who are are made ready for faith. God, of people who, who call out to you for, for deliverance. God, keep us from sinning. Keep us from falling. Keep us from, from falling away. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.